So if you have been involved in music production, you have come across the name Behringer before. So we figured we'd talk about Behringer, what's happening in the news recently concerning Behringer and synthesizers specifically. And then in our second episode, this will be a two episode series, in our second episode we will pontificate on what it what it means to be a large corporation and to rely on a large corporation for uh for our music. And we're gonna help you make use of yet another large tool in the tune shed. Off we go. Welcome to the Tune Shed, the workshop for everything music from history, theory, creative process, production, you name it. I'm your host, Mick Blurry, and I'm here with my dear childhood friend and professional musician, Marty Gray. What's up, Marty? Hello. Well, Blake, you're going to have to help me in this episode because there's going to be a lot of corporate jargon, and I'm not very good at corporate jargon. As if I am. (laughs) You know me. (laughs) I know you. You, Well, you may have a little bit better knowledge on, you know, what, what certain things are called and referred to and what a shell company really is. <laughs> I just have no idea. We'll see. Well, we're, we're getting gonna, into we're gonna, it. We're going enough. deep into it today, aren't we? We're going deep into it. We're going to stumble our way through one of the biggest corporate conglomerates that you could possibly find. And the reason I wanted to sort of talk about it is because there's a, there's a very interesting thing that I've been hearing about recently over the past couple of years. And it's the fact that Behringer which is a company that makes music gear, has recently built, as of 2018, a massive like corporate campus in China, specifically for manufacturing. And hmm. I've just been hearing constantly like how massive this thing is. So I figured we would do a two-episode series where the first episode is just me telling Blake how big this thing is. And then the second episode is Blake and I just sort of chatting about what it means, what we both think. Hmm. Like, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's good stuff. Because it's one of those things that it piques your curiosity, you know, something like a massive city campus to make music here. And it makes me think, like, is music like a big industry that really warrants a massive campus? Like, I don't know. Yeah. And how massive. And how massive are we talking here? Right. I keep hearing about it from different people. Like, this place is huge. Like, you can do your laundry here. Are people (laughs) saying, like, they need to boycott this? Or is there any, like, positive, negative? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And there there have been boycotts. And I personally know people that won't buy Behringer because it's a horrible company. These are the, I mean, these are the same folks that, like, have an Android phone because they won't buy anything Apple (laughs) because, you know. They're concerned about ethics. So Yeah, is Android any better? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I like I, I'm not smart enough. I don't do enough research for this. But I did do some research on Behringer and here's what okay. I found. Okay, okay. So okay. Behringer's huge city was built in twenty eighteen. Okay. And it's three million square feet. This this factory that they built. It is a it is technically a factory. But it's so massive that they don't consider it a factory, they consider it a city. Right, they three million square feet. How big? That's big. It's huge. Well, so like a mile is what five thousand something feet. feet. Yeah, something. <laughs> like so th- that's that's big. Enormous. It really is a city. It um, it can how ha- it like the people that work there are called tribers, because the parent company of Behringer is called Music Tribe, and the city is called Music Tribe City. 
This feels That's... a lot like a Black Mirror episode. Are we doing that? We are in a Black Mirror episode. Because, like, yeah, like, we naming are... the the people who live there something like I something mean, catchy like that's kind of i mean it's it's yeah it's dystopian for sure <laughs> it feels really bad all right okay right? so yeah the, the whole place can adequately house three thousand people at a time wow not working there but living there so so you live and work you work where you live and you live where you work that's the idea you know there's that's also uh, a dystopian idea there is laundry capabilities. There's a supermarket. There's a hospital <laughs> inside. <laughs> there's like, there's a daycare. Like it, it is designed for people to, to live and work on the campus. Yeah, that gives me the EBGBs for some reason. Mm-hmm. For some yeah, reasons. For the sole purpose of just like manufacturing Behringer's equipment. And I don't think this is a novel idea. I think there are things like this across China, right? So that, and I think across Southeast Asia as well. Probably across the are, globe to some extent as well. You're probably right. Yes. Yeah. Again, I don't know as, as much about like corporate campuses. Yeah. But music has one, you know, and it's, it's Behringer. Huh. Um, yeah. They're a funky idea in general, you know, because you think about like, you think about the glorified ones, like the Google campus or something. It's like, oh, they're building a new building in New York. It's going to be this and that. And it's so creative. And um, yeah. there's all this kind of like the people of New York are like seen under construction. And they're like, oh, it's a pretty building. It's an ugly building, you know. But yeah. um, this is kind of like I've literally seen dystopian shorts or movies with this type of plot where it's like the company owns your life and you work yeah. at a company. Yeah, that, that is spooky. It's happening, man. Yeah. It's happening. And I mean, so to better understand it, let's just start from the beginning. Okay. Look, how did we get here? So, and of course, Behringer isn't a Chinese name. Hmm. So Behringer was founded by a Swiss guy in 1989 named Uli Behringer. And the whole idea was that he couldn't afford expensive studio equipment. Um, this is 89, right? So a Neve preamp, that's going to set you back at least 600 for one channel you know and if you're a struggling musician and you can't afford studio time you can't afford equipment what do you do well Uli or Yuli Behringer uh, he had experience in electronics and he knew how to solder and he knew how to read a schematic so what he would do is he would take clones from the companies or not he wouldn't take clones he would take some schematics from companies who built audio equipment and source the parts cheaply and build them himself Hmm. Right. So he awesome. would, yeah. I mean, he would literally go to Radio Shack or the equivalent in in Switzerland, and he would, you know, buy the transistors, buy the resistors, wow. just buy everything, and then like a super hobbyist, you know. Yeah. yeah. That's wonderful. It's great. Um, but what started to happen was he would build preamps, and they would work, and they would sound like the preamps that you would need in a studio, and his friends would ask him to build them for him for a price. Mm. They'd say like, you know, if I paid you half of what it would cost to buy this new from Neve, will you make me one? And so he, he agreed. And then of course the rest is history. Yeah. He built a company off of that idea. And so the company eventually grew and grew and grew to the point where it is now, where there's this like massive complex, this massive industrial complex. 
Mm. Um, somewhere in that time, he outsourced his factory manufacturing from, I think, Germany to Polynesia, um, mm. to Malaysia, to, I think he has a factory in the Philippines, and then eventually to China. Mm. And if you follow synth culture, you've probably caught wind of the myriad of Behringer clones that are just like hitting the market super fast. I mean, this was happening in like 2019. I started to hear about this, but like reached sort of a fever pitch in 2021, 2022. And we're still seeing like Behringer dropping clones of really famous synths, right? So wow. the, the big examples are Behringer dropped the Poly D, which is a $600 version of basically ripping the Moog Mini Moog Model D, which is like a really famous analog synthesizer that will set you back $5,000, hmm. right? So that's always kind of been their thing is like taking something else and just making it cheaper. That's right. Yeah. And as a consumer, I've always thought like, oh, Behringer, it's like the cheap version of something good. It's like the knockoff you know? brand for cereals. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And I mean, Behringer just is like, it has the capability to look at a synthesizer that's like a legacy synth mm -hmm. that people have been using since the 80s and 70s and to say, okay, snap of the fingers, we have a version that's 200 bucks. You know, a really great example is the K2, mm -hmm. which dropped recently. The Behringer K2 is basically a Korg MS-20. And a Korg huh. MS-20, a good working condition one on eBay will set you back 1200 Like a used one with problems you can get for like 350 yeah. You can buy it new out of the Behringer store for 200 bucks. And hey, well, actually speaking of cheap, I, I forgot to give my little pitch <laughs> that we're trying to upgrade the podcast and to do all the nice. good things. And, uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice transition. So anyways, <laughs> if, if you like what you're hearing and want to support us, check out the link in the show notes. Um, I'll leave it at that. Appreciate you all out there. Um, but Marty, that's, that's crazy that they're doing that. And I, I guess, you know, every company you need, like, you know, what's, what's your, what's different about you? What's unique about you? Why should someone buy your product instead of someone else's? You know, it's kind of a key factor for building a company. It sounds like Behringer's is really, you know, being the knockoff brand be like, you know, we're going to win with price. And, you know, yeah. Walmart kind of did that. And there's some shade around that. And Amazon does it too. You've heard these stories of kind of the bigger companies bullying the smaller companies. Um, you know, there's different tactics to say, you know, like I, I heard that at one point Walmart would buy like a product from a company and then start buying more and more. And it's a smaller company. And eventually Walmart's buying 80% of their product. And then Walmart says, hey, you got to lower your costs. So we're going to not buy your product. Uh, and that company just has to do it. Because, you know, if they stop buying 80% of their product, they just lost 80% of their revenue, right? Yeah. Um, so they, they win so this, evil. yeah, they win this buying power and then they threaten it. Of course, they can afford to just drop that product. They have a million products. Um, and I've heard, yeah. I've heard things about Amazon too, where they kind of like, you know, they make a knockoff of a product that's doing well. They have all the data about what sells, right? So a third yeah. party selling something on there, like that sells well, let's make our own version and sell it for cheaper, you know? That's right. Um, and they can even undercut their price for a while. Yeah, they can sell things at a loss because they're so massive. Right. That's ridiculous. And so there's all these tactics that sort of show up like that. And I wonder if 
that's kind of Behringer's is like, we're just going to win on price however we can. Yeah. And I think outsourcing to China is a huge part yep. of that. Well, that was know? super, I mean, that was super popular over the last, like, I don't know exactly the time frame, but there was this moment where everyone's like, Hey, we like labor is cheaper in Asia. Let's outsource. That's right. Um, and now there's a little bit of a like, Hey, let's come back to made in the USA or is made in Europe or whatever it is. But um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll get into like the ethics of that and what that means for musicians in the second episode. Oh yeah, we gotta say for sure. <laughs> I think uh, uh, well, an important part of it is that we need to keep in mind is this cost Behringer a hundred million dollars to build, which might seem like a lot, but yeah, hundred million, a hundred million dollars. That might seem like a lot, but can you imagine building a city? For a hundred million dollars, yeah, actually seems low. <laughs> like entire city. Yeah. <laughs> I and I mean, Behringer is a two billion dollar company, so I don't know how that all shakes up in yearly cost expenditures and yeah, you know how much are, how much are they planning on making from that investment? What's the ROI? Like, I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, but it seems it just to my little musician brain, it seems kind of kind of low. <laughs> yeah, I think that is low for an entire city. Um, and there's, yeah, a $2 billion company spending $100 million, That's not, it's not insane. No, especially for a, like something on a scale as massive as this. And I didn't even realize. So I sort of had to go up the the corporate ladder on this because I I sort of realized upon doing research that since really aren't even the tip of the iceberg, right? They, I mean, Behringer sells everything under the sun. They sell mics, they sell AIs, preamps, like MIDI conversion, like the guitar amps, hmm. you know, and everything I could possibly want. And then Behringer isn't even the, the highest company on in the umbrella. Right, so hmm. Behringer is owned by a company called Music Tribe, and Music Tribe has oh. a bunch of lower companies. This is where I need your help. <laughs> where, I see. Are those? Sh is that a shell company? Like oh. a, like a company that's like the big guy, and then there's a bunch of companies below them. Yeah, I don't know the technical term for it. It's just one company owns another company. Dang. Pretty classic move. So it's not a Swiss. Is it a Swiss company? Like, is it headquartered in Switzerland, or is it? The Music Tribe headquarters are in the Philippines. Oh, interesting. Okay. And uh, I don't know why. there There's a, a, like a bunch of other like audio-based companies under the Music Tribe umbrella. Companies like Midas, which make mm. like studio-grade equipment. Um, right. I'm currently looking at my audio interface, which is a Behringer audio interface, and it has Midas preamps in the audio right. interface. So they're working together. So, Yep, they're working together. There's TC Helicon, which makes broadcasting equipment, mm -hmm. you know, which is a an area of audio I have no idea how anything works because yeah. I'm not in broadcasting, but they they have an entire arm of Music Tribe that makes like cheap broadcasting equipment. Yep. They have Bugera, that's guitar amps. They have Labgruppen, which is like tour scale live sound, mm. right? So like... They, they just have anything you could possibly want under one umbrella. And this Music Tribe City was designed to manufacture all of it. Oh. 
wow. like under one under one roof interesting you know? okay the point is there exists a massive corporate effort to give the consumer audio equipment at a hugely discounted price right and that's just a fact that we live in yeah. and i'm that's that's a fact that we've lived in for years and years and years this isn't news yeah um but it's it's funny as a consumer and as a professional just like learning about the scale of Behringer, having heard that name forever and having owned a lot of Behringer equipment, like there's Behringer equipment everywhere in my studio. Mm -hmm. And then sort of coming to realize, oh, this is like a massive effort. This is huge. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Understanding the scale is really hard. Um, like I said, at first I was like, I don't feel like music's like I don't think we need, like, it's not the biggest industry in the world, you know, music equipment, right? Like think about clothing or something that's way bigger than music equipment, right? But yeah. then you mentioned all those brands. I mean, clothing definitely is way bigger, but you mentioned all those brands. I start to think, okay, all the broadcasting, all the sports games, okay. All yeah. the guitar <laughs> equipment, all the live show equipment. Anytime there's any audio, essentially they have some equipment in the game. Like they're all over that whole uh, yeah. industry, right? Yeah, so like movie theater sound, you know, yeah, like like uh, um telecoms in in schools, <laughs> like yeah, Behringer makes systems for that, right? It's, it's like oh my god, dude. So now you think about that hundred million, and it's small because if Behringer is a two billion dollar company, and you think about all the other arms of that company of the tribe, right? Um, yeah, hundred million is like nothing probably in their grand scheme. That's right. Um, hmm. So interesting. So there, there's the big truth nugget that we drop, <laughs> and I think that's where I want to end it today. Next episode, we're just gonna like, we're just gonna chat about what that means for people like you and me. Heck yeah! All right. Well, much love, everybody. Till next time. Talk soon. Bye. 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 <laughs>